Hello, my name is Constanze Döner. I'm a hematologist working at the University Hospital in Ulm, Germany, and I'm a member of the executive board at EHA. And I'm very happy that I um, can discuss today with my colleagues um, about EHA's activities and the war in Ukraine. Hello, I'm Elizabeth McIntyre. I'm current EHA president. I work as a diagnostic hematologist at Université de Paris-Cité in Paris, France. Uh, and uh, I've had great fun being president for over a year now, and it's come with all sorts of unexpected adventures, and uh, I'm delighted to be here to talk about how we reacted to the Ukraine crisis. And I'm Natalie Van Hav. I'm the uh, head of education at uh, EHA, and uh, I've been involved in uh, EHA's activities uh, to support Ukraine from the, the beginning, and I'm also very happy to be there to share what uh, we've been doing. So EHA was very quick to react to Ukraine invasion in February 24. So could you please um, summarize EHA's action in favor of Ukraine and the Ukrainian hematological community? Of course. So um, EHA, the first, uh, the first thing EHA did was to place on the EHA website a joint statement by EHA and also many, uh, most of the European national societies uh, committing to support uh, Ukraine in all possible uh, manners uh, and support Ukrainian hematologists and patients. So that was the first thing. But we didn't stop there. Um, we uh, immediately made the significant donation to Médecins Sans Frontières who were one of the first organizations to be present in Ukraine, delivering medication, helping people. And this was really a general donation to, to help everyone. It wasn't targeted specifically to uh, hematology. Then uh, we uh, started working with uh, the Lymphoma Coalition. The Lymphoma Coalition is a patient organization who had been involved very early on uh, in Ukraine creating lists of patients who um, needed care and were in the country. Um, they were working then at the time on all, uh, you know, and are still working on all disease areas, not just lymphoma, and also including some uh, oncology solid tumor patients. And so these, uh, we had a growing list of hundreds of patients uh, in Ukraine. And uh, EHA created, worked with uh, volunteers to create a website that uh, included a data set on uh, patients, so their needs, the specific um, conditions, um, uh, the, the care they needed, the specific treatment they needed. And then at the same time, uh, another side of the website was uh, European hospitals and the care they could provide. And the idea was to have a match of patients and hospital to provide you know, the best care possible. Um, for this, uh, as I said, we worked with uh, volunteers who created the website, and then we uh, also funded uh, two positions to support uh, the website and support the Lymphoma Coalition. And these two positions were filled by Ukrainian refugees uh, in Europe. Um, we also provided, uh, we worked with a, a company uh, called Ziver to provide um, GDPR and patient confidentiality uh, file transfer to uh, anyone involved in the, in the process. Because of course, even if uh, we're talking about an event like war, we still need to maintain you know, confidentiality. 
Um, then, once we had established that, uh, the most urgent thing was to move patients, actually move patients, and we started using or funding um, a non-governmental organization called Helping to Leave. Helping to Leave um, moves people out of Ukraine, um, not just patients. They move everyone, they support the move, they provide transport, they provide psychological care, they provide shelter, food. And, but they have a medical division and specifically a hematology oncology division that concentrated on the transport of uh, hematological patients. So uh, NG, uh, sorry, helping to leave has been able to transfer patients and their families, so it could be their children, their loved ones, to other European countries for them to um, get the care they needed. Um, many of those patients went to Italy. That was the first country that we uh, that was uh, um, receiving patients, but then it extended to other countries as well. And then eventually, once uh, you know, many of these patients uh, completed their treatment, and um, for those who wanted to, we also helped with uh, return to Ukraine, because some of those people do have still family in Ukraine or family members fighting and they want to be uh, close to them. So we felt that we, we had a duty to make sure that we do what was best for them. So this is still continuing uh, with uh, helping to leave. So Natalie, maybe you can briefly explain what, what have been the major difficulties and challenges in the implementation of such a huge program. I would say that um, the, the main difficulty is the changing uh, picture every day. Um, since the beginning, um, you know, you plan an evacuation of patient, but you plan a route, but then there's a bombing. And so, you know, the transport that was supposed to go this way cannot go this way, it has to go that way. Uh, all the support that you had put in place along the way cannot happen, it has to be changed. Um, so that was one difficulty. The other difficulty was um, the transport of patients who were um, unwell. Uh, those who can travel sitting in a bus, well, that's relatively easy. But we, uh, helping to leave, often had to organize at the last minute uh, the transport of patients who had to be lying down with a nursing escort. And that's, that's quite challenging uh, because it's, it's not uh, like driving on a motorway. You know, it's quite difficult. Um, so that was hard. The other thing was to uh, secure accommodation for patients and their families uh, at their destination. It's all good to have a place for a patient in a hospital, but not everyone requires inpatient care. Uh, a lot of people obviously can do fine without patient care and they need to have a place to stay and um, more than a place to stay, it has to be a decent place you know, for their families, you know, we supported children by giving them laptops so they can continue distance education, you know, all the kind of things that are essential to life, whether you're in your own country or not. And do we also implement, you know, a program to follow up what happens to these patients if they, if they have already been gone home, back to Ukraine, or if they're still yes. in, in, in one of the countries? Yes, well, that's the beauty of having the, the website that we created, is that we, uh, we're able to know exactly uh, what is going on and also continue to work on growing the list because, you know, it doesn't stop, right? There's always new diagnosis being made and we need to keep, you know, keep working. So a little bit of one question to you. What, what do you think should be the role of a medical organization like EHA in crisis situations like this inside and outside Europe? 
I think it's been a learning process for all of us to um, suddenly gear up to what was required and also to find the best way of being useful because so many people want to help, so many organisations want to help and that can all get a little bit chaotic and you realise why you need military organisation in times of crisis. Um, I think, uh, as, as Natalie mentioned, we were very lucky in that um, the Lymphoma Coalition, uh, their, one of their main representatives, Natasha Bolaños, is also part of our patient advisory committee. So there was natural links. But it did require a fair amount of um, cooperation between the different organisations, uh, between the general cancer organisations, uh, we more specifically concentrated on patients obviously with haematological malignancies. Uh, and, and just at a slightly more political level, um, the, the COVID crisis led to the creation of HERA, uh, the, the Health Emergency Response Agency in the European Commission. And along came Ukraine just after COVID. And obviously people were saying, should, should, uh, should HERA also be facing up to, to Ukraine, which I think was very premature at that point. So it's much more a question of how can everybody try to complement each other without all of us doing the same thing and then there being huge holes in, in what's required. And, and I, I really take my hat off to our haematology colleagues in Ukraine. The doctors have been available under difficult circumstances and I think like their leader have shown an incredible um, calmness, determination and they've been available to talk to us. In, in a constructive fashion. And I think it's been a, le a lesson to a lot of us in, in Europe and just how people can show what they're worth in times of great crisis. I also think it's been very positive for, for our contacts with the national societies because many of them realized that we could face this together and it made more sense to face it as European haematology while building on the, on the internal strengths in each of the the national societies. So this is really a great program and this is still ongoing and we do not know how long we need to have such programs. So the question is, um, has EHA other actions planned to help Ukrainian medical community and hematologic patients? Well, yes, I think in keeping with what I said and as Natalie mentioned, um, we early on ring-fenced a budget uh, for supporting Ukraine, but since we weren't sure how best to use it, we decided to use it as we saw appropriate. So we started with Médecins Sans Frontières and then we went on to the different activities that, that Natalie mentioned. Um, we're um, putting the final touches to a program to help um, haematologists, whether they be medical or, or scientific, who have left the country to maybe have some useful, constructive, professional activity. Obviously, the doctors can't actually practice, but maybe we can find... Um, we're, we're opening up grants for Ukrainians outside of Ukraine at the moment who would like to have some kind of professional insertion until they can return to their country, so that hopefully um, when they do manage to go back home, it, they'll, have, they'll come back with something useful from Europe. We don't have the final details yet, but they should be straightened out in the very near future. Uh, and so we're keeping up our sleeve other opportunities. Uh, I think the other thing, because we are very keen on encouraging return to normal as soon as 
that's possible. So we are also thinking about ways to contribute to reconstruction of Ukraine once it becomes possible, which we hope will be in the in the, the very near future. Yeah, and I think there are still um, ideas um, coming up how we can help and support Ukrainian. It's depending on the future, it's depending what is going on. But I think we, we have lots of ideas and we have initiated all these activities and we have the networking network now, um, which is working quite nicely. So I think um, our support will be um, for sure there whenever it's needed. Mm -hmm. We certainly hope it continues to be that way.